Well, great job, everybody. And uh, once again, a happy uh, Father's Day to everyone who's here, who's uh, in the grind, doing the uh, daddy deal. And I mean that for uh, people who are both uh, present fathers of uh, smaller children, soon-to-be fathers, and also fathers with uh, kids out of the house, because how many people know that that continues even after they're long gone? That's right. So, I know. so um, much, uh, much love and much respect to all of you. Um, I also wanted to um, say and also um, honor um, one of the special couples who is a surprise visit today, but it's actually the Magpente families. They're some of our bishops from our worldwide ministry. That's right. Helping to oversee churches and families throughout the world. And so uh, they've done a tremendous job with their own children and are helping to steward the work of God throughout the world. And so uh, please get to know them as they're here today. So um, that is fantastic and good. And it's, it's, it's no joke. The mothership is in uh, Philippines and Manila, and uh, they're a template for everything else. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. So um, with that in mind, I also wanted to um, say that if you are a father, don't, don't worry. We did not forget you. Uh, that just as we had for the mothers on Mother's Day, there is a cup of joe for you um, in the back, okay? The Starbucks card is there for you in the back. So nobody just start like getting up and get ready to walk out and be like, they don't love the dads. We love the fathers, okay? And so get your gift in the back as well. And we wanted to just say thank you and much respect to you for um, all that you do. It's not a small deal. It's a big deal, especially in this generation. Um, so good job to um, all of our fathers who are doing it in a godly manner and in a godly way. So with that in mind, um, we are going to um, finish our short series that we've been doing as we've been preparing for the <clears throat> summer months. And it's a series called Why Not Sin? And it's a play on words where we were talking about the fact that um, a lot of people going into the downtimes or into the uh, leisurely times begin to sort of offhandedly, if not subconsciously, ask this question, what's the big deal about sinning? Can't I let my guard down for a little bit? Can't I go about my business as I want to and won't God forgive me? Can't I come back to real zeal for God uh, whenever uh, the summer months are over? And uh, the real answer that we want to uh, sort of have as a play on words is answer the question, why not sin? Why it's better not to sin? Why it's better not to sin and why it's better to stay devoted to Jesus in every season of life, no matter who you're with, what you're doing, or what you're um, involved in. And so um, what we want to do is go back to the same story that we were looking at last week. And it was a tough story. It was the story of um, some of David, King David's children, who was um, a man after God's own heart. And uh, he had several children, um, one of whom was a man named Amnon. And he had a half-sister named Tamar, who he unfortunately, as we learned in last week's uh, story, chose to violate because he didn't get control of his own lusts and his own thought life. Um, but God obviously gives us a better example of how to live above and beyond that. Um, and then we're also bringing into the story today not only Amnon and Tamar, um, but also another son of King David's named Absalom. Um, many of you who are uh, literature fans obviously uh, know William Faulkner uh, even wrote his book Absalom, Absalom. And uh, off of this theme, this biblical theme of, anyway, if you don't like reading, that's fine. But the, the point is, is that it's um, a good biblical narrative in helping us understand why not sin. So last week we talked about um, the idea of we can have a moment of pleasure which results in a lifetime of pain. 
Um, but this week we want to flip the coin and actually talk about God's good purpose for actually living by the fruit of the Holy Spirit and living a self-controlled, disciplined, and godly life. And we're going to flip the script actually to talk about today a moment of pain which results in a lifetime of pleasure. A moment of pain which actually results in a lifetime of pleasure. So if you're taking notes today, what we're going to do is we're going to break it up into three parts as we usually do. And because it's Father's Day, we're um, going to give a charge to the fathers, number one. Uh, number two, uh, give a charge to those who are following fatherly advice. And then uh, number three, we're going to talk about the way that God himself makes to our heavenly father, okay? So to the fathers, to those following fatherly advice, and for all of us, the way to the father. All right, so let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your uh, good word to us today. Thank you that, God, your word is applicable in all times and in all seasons. And, God, we pray that today by the Holy Spirit and through the cross of Jesus Christ, we might see you clearly. We might see you clearly and have your heart. God, we pray that if any of us have uh, been estranged from you, this would be a moment, God, that you bring us back to yourself. For both those who've walked with you at some point and those who are only on the precipice of beginning that walk with you, God, we're asking that this would be a moment of reconciliation with the Heavenly Father as you demonstrate your heart to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as I said last week, what we were talking about is um, uh, some of David's children. Um, there was Amnon who violated his sister Tamar. And in the midst of that, uh, it said that at the end of uh, her violation, David, King David, was very angry, as he should be. He was very angry with his son. He was very angry that he didn't control his um, lusts and passions, his thought life, and he ended up violating one of his daughters. And so we don't know, um, according to biblical accounts, how David dealt with Amnon in the midst of that violation. Uh, but we do know that he did, wanted to do something. All we do know, though, is according to Absalom, the other son of David, he didn't do enough. He didn't do enough. It was a horrible, wretched thing that uh, King David did, and I, I think that uh, many times this is the first uh, many times this is the first sort of exhortation that we have as fathers nowadays. It's we're bred and we're built to work. We're bred and we're built to achieve. We're bred and we're built to conquer. We're bred and we're built to take mountains and territory, right? As a man, it's sort of like part of where you get your sense of value and identity, whether good or not, is from what you produce with your hands. Isn't that true? Okay, and so a lot of times we have these scenarios where um, men like King David, who was, again, known as a man after God's own heart, he did a lot of good for even the nation of Israel outside of the home. He was fighting the Lord's battles. He was one who was actually extending the territory of what we know as modern-day Israel um, in, in, in large respect amongst the godless nations that didn't fear or know God at the time. Um, but for all of the things that King David did as a man after God's own heart outside of the home, he often failed inside of the home to train and deal with his children properly so that the heart that he had was transferable, 
so that the heart and the mission and the calling that he had was actually represented in those who came after him and his children well. And so not only do you see that reflected in Amnon's life, not only do you see this eventually reflected in Absalom's life, you see it eventually when King David was about to go the way of all the earth and pass on another son of his, Ishbosheth. Um, he, it said that these children who grew up in the king's court and in the palace, who had all the amenities and all the privileges offered to them again and again, it said that they were handsome, and many of his daughters were beautiful, they had all types of opportunities. But the thing about it is, is that when they did wrong, many times it said that King David never asked them why they did what they did. He never stepped in the way and asked them and said, listen, it's not good for you to go this way. You need to follow God in a wholehearted manner in the way that I've shown you and exemplified for you. He didn't intervene inside the home, though he did so much outside of the house. He did not do enough inside the home to make sure that what was represented in him was actually properly transferred to those who would follow behind him. And so when we see that Amnon uh, violates his sister, his half-sister Tamar, we see that Absalom, one of David's other sons, took it to heart and he said, you know what, if da- in essence, if dad's not going to do something about this, I will. I remember growing up in my own household and I was the eldest. Do we have any firstborns in here? Okay, and so you know how it is. It's sort of like you have younger siblings and it's sort of like you see your parents doing some things and other things you wish they would do. And so I remember talking to my little sister <laughs> when I got old enough and she was in her teenage years and I said, you know what, you can't talk to mom that way. Anybody remember saying that? Okay, it's sort of like, and if dad's not going to handle this, I will. She's like, you're not my father. And I was like, all right, somebody's got to be. Anyway, but the point is that didn't always go over well. That did not always go over well, but in the same way, we see that with uh, what's happening with Absalom, he's basically taking the matter into his own hand because David did not deal with things as he thought he should have. What we see is that over the course of time, Absalom, over a two-year period, was keeping bitterness towards his brother to himself. And it was growing in his heart. And he began to plot and plan how he was going to avenge the violation that took place against his sister Tamar, which David should have done in the first place. And then we see it end up in trouble. So let's open our Bibles today to 2 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 23. It says, After two full years, Absalom had sheep shearers at Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. He pressed him, but he would would not go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, if not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. You can imagine, for two years he's been plotting and planning this. And the king said to him, why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, mark mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear, have I not commanded you? 
be courageous and be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and each mounted his mule and fled. And so all of a sudden we see that the thing that Absalom was waiting for, he should have learned from his, uh, David, his father, that ultimately there is a God in heaven who's an avenger. There's a God in heaven who makes all wrong things right when we wait on him. Because of the product of sin in this world, we see that all of us, to some extent, have either violated or been violated by sin. We've all received the repercussions of sin in our lives. We've all been the perpetrator of sin and violations that have taken place. Whether it's a big deal to us or not, we've been the perpetrators of sin that's affected other people as well. And what we see here is because King David didn't step in, Absalom took it in his own hands and he said, I'm going to administrate what's called delayed gratification. Delayed gratification in a sinful manner. If God won't do it, and this is what happens a lot of times in people's hearts and minds, right? They say to themselves, if God won't do it, I've got to take it in my own hands. If God won't avenge me, I've got to avenge myself. In the workplace, with family members, with friends, I've got to find the revenge that I need. I've got to cut across them, be cutthroat, backstabbing. I've got to get what I need if God won't fight for me. And this is what Absalom did with a warped sense of delayed gratification. And so in the midst of that, as you see, that ended up leading to trouble. One of the main things that a father and a charge to a father, um, um, to a, there being a charge to fathers today, one of the main things a father can do for his children. And this means whether your children are in your house now or they're out of the house. Because even if you didn't do it right when they were coming up, you still have a voice in their life now. How many people can say amen to that? How many people know that years later you have, I, I think about my own father and 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds and 70-year-olds who are still affected by what their fathers think of them or what their fathers have said to them or how they've shaped them. Let me tell you, if you are living today and you have living children, it is not too late for you to shape your children's lives. It is not too late for you to speak into their lives and point them to the living God who can avenge any sin, who can actually reconcile people to himself no matter what they've done. And one of the biggest challenges that we have today is to remember that charge as a father. To remember that charge as children who are one day going to be fathers of people who are coming up looking to our example. Absalom did it the wrong way. David missed his moment, but we don't have to. We don't have to. We can be those who actually obey the scripture in Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul was writing to the church. And we love the first part, especially as parents, where it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. But then he says very clearly, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So of all the things that we're responsible for, this is a primary one. 
And if you've missed it up to this point, it's okay. God is a redeemer and God can get you in the game now to begin forming and shaping your, pro- your progeny. You're basically those who come after you in the ways of God so they don't make the mistakes that Absalom did. You can actually come in as a father, and not just a natural father, but a father in the faith. If you don't have your own children, let me tell you, there are men and women who are waiting to be fathered in the spirit. There are men and women who are, being, who are waiting to say, teach me how to follow God just like you do. Is that not the essence of discipleship? Jesus said, go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and do what? Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. That's exactly what Paul did. We have no record that the Apostle Paul had any natural children of his own. But he was continually relating to the people in the church and those who would follow God as if they were spiritual children, teaching them as if they were his own. And so the charge remains the same, not just to fathers, but also to mothers, not just to natural fathers, but to spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. Do this for those who come behind and teach them how to have a proper delayed gratification to wait on the God who avenges because he's the one who can do it righteously. And ultimately what he's trying to do is he's trying to reconcile men and women to himself through the cross of Jesus Christ. So the charge to the fathers remains the same. But for those heeding fatherly advice, fatherly advice, one of the greatest gifts that a father can give to his children is God's wisdom for properly handling this concept of delayed gratification. Isn't that true nowadays especially? When everything is available to us and we're used to getting things immediately, immediately, right? even if we don't have the means for it. That's why the nation that we live in is steeped in bondage, steeped in credit card debt. Why? Because we don't have a sense of fatherly wisdom to teach us about delayed gratification. And there are two sides to this coin, as we see in the life of Amnon, and as we see it in the life of Absalom, that we need to live by if we're going to be godly people. The two sides of the coin were represented first by Amnon, As sons of the king, you think about it, and I want to get real practical now in where we live today. Amnon was a son of the king, as I already said. And you can imagine Amnon, as a son of the king, being much like a trust fund baby today. Having all of the opportunities, all of the material wealth, all of the things handed to them that were afforded to them at that time. And because of these things we can see that delayed gratification isn't something that might have come naturally to Amnon. Now, you would have thought to yourself, well, that's his situation. That's his problem. He was the son of the king. But how does that apply to us today? Is it not the same in the opulent culture in which we live today? Even those who consider themselves barely making it, are rich by the world's standards in America. Everybody understand that? I mean, everybody can have a Netflix subscription. Right? I mean, at the bare minimum, that is a luxury. Everybody, if, at least if they come to Second City, can get a cup of Starbucks. 
That's the point in the matter, right? Everybody has these things afforded to you. And it doesn't just apply to material wealth. It also applies to opportunities and pleasures. Because the world has become so small to us today, it is easy to go anywhere we want, whenever we want. Expedia and Priceline, right? They are at our beck and call to do what we want, when we want, and really build nothing substantial with our lives because we're so scattered and don't delay the the gratification of our pleasures. And what happens is is that we begin to live a life like Amnon, not necessarily committing the same sin, but we have different types of sin that come out of us. God has a high calling, but we forsake those things for the sake of obtaining in the moment, whenever we want it, the pleasures that are available to us. And I'm telling you, though I have six well, no, I don't have six kids. I have a family of six. Sorry. I was like, whoa. Oh, I was like, hold on. <laughs> Ooh, get carried away sometimes. Okay, so though I have four kids and a family of six, I have a family of six, so I don't go everywhere I want to when I want to. The same applies for me being grounded here in Chicago, right? How often do I take my time in my own hand? And when I could be praying or interceding or fasting or doing all types of things. Wait, what fasting? What? I'm in a foodie town, baby. It's time to make a new post on Yelp. It's like, listen, all these things that I'm immediately available to me, that I fill myself up with, it's no different than the heart of Amnon in the moment that he sinned. Delayed gratification becomes a foreign concept to us, and because of that, we end up perpetrating the same type of sin that he had. Let me tell you this. This is some fatherly advice that we all should receive. No decision that you make in your life is benign or inconsequential. You are either gathering with Jesus in everything that you do, or you're scattering. You are either gathering with Jesus in everything that you do by your example, by your life, how you spend your time, talent, and treasure, or you are scattering. It's what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30. He says, whoever is not with me, is against me. Jesus was always drawing a line in the sand. He was saying, I'm worth it. My kingdom is the pearl of great price that I want you to be willing to sell everything for to get a hold of. And he said, either you're for me or you're against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now that's a point that we need to take and take an, use it to take an evaluation of our lives. What is the product of the decisions that I'm making? Is it gathering unto the kingdom of God and his ultimate kingdom advance and purposes? Or is it being used to scatter? Because there is no demilitarized zone. There is no just lying in between and hoping that nothing happens bad if I don't do anything bad. It's sort of like you're either advancing or you're regressing in the kingdom. You're either full of spiritual zeal and fervor or you're ending up in a lukewarm life where you're deceived and Jesus will ultimately spit you out of his mouth. Isn't that what Revelation says? His message to the church I love it. Everybody needs to read Revelation. Don't be scared of Revelation. 
Everybody needs to read Revelation 1, 2, and 3, where he starts off talking about his message to the churches. And he always starts off saying, hey, listen, I commend you as my people. I commend you for the good that you're doing, the sacrifices that you're making, all the hard work and how you oppose those who promote wickedness. But then he oftentimes says, but this I hold against you. And the first thing he starts with is you've forsaken your first love. Now go back and do the things that you did with first. Remember, remember when you first started your love affair with me. Remember when you started to love me, serve me wholeheartedly. Because if you don't, I'm going to come and remove the lampstand from its place. We cannot take God and his grace for granted. We cannot. That's one of the messages my dad gave me all the time. He's like, listen, I will give you my, the shirt off of my back, but don't take my kindness for granted. Don't take my kindness for granted because it can't be removed. And Amnon missed this because he was always full of this idea of immediate rather than delayed gratification. Absalom, on the opposite side of the coin, had the sort of warped and misplaced idea of delayed gratification. And this is, this is a subtle one that I want to speak to Christians specifically, please. Especially when we've been ex- exposed to the Word of God, but we often pick and choose which parts we want to obey. Or we put off obedience to it, Because we think that as long as I'm obeying some, it doesn't matter if I'm obeying all of it. But God says, to the contrary, I want you to be careful to obey all my commands. That you might be careful to come in and take possession of the land that I have for you. Absalom, in his warped vision of delayed delayed gratification, how does that apply to us today? It also has to do with delayed obedience. Delayed obedience. If any of you have been a parent or are parents now or remember being in your parents' home, you remember that when a charge was given, it wasn't, I'll do it later, or I'll get around to making my bed, or I'll get around to taking out the trash. You know, you know what I'm talking about? One of those things is it's not, I, we don't get around to things once the word is spoken, It's like you do it now. When the word is spoken, you do it now. And and let let me help you out. You know, have have any parents ever had to go and turn off a TV for some kid? And when that didn't work, you had to, sort of like you were like unveiling your holster, right? Lift it up a little bit. You know, you know, and then they got moving. It's sort of like, listen, in the same way, God expects not delayed obedience, but immediate obedience to his commands. He says things like, seek, what is some fatherly advice he gives us? He says, seek the kingdom of God first. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, drink, and what you're going to wear. Your father knows that you have need of these things. But seek first practically with your time, with your energy, in the word, in your efforts, in your interactions with people, throughout your days. 
Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, and everything else you need will be added to you. Proverbs 3, 27 and 28, in terms of immediate versus delayed obedience. He says this, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you now. That's the proper posture before God, right? He says, if I'm commanding you to do anything, do it now. Do it when you have opportunity. Don't put it off because we're by nature, in our sinful nature at least, procrastinators. And that delayed obedience often turns into hard-heartedness. And so it perpetuates disobedience. And God's like, turn back and have an earnestness about your faith. Seek the kingdom of God first means seek it first. It does not mean after your studies, job, family, hobbies, or pleasure pursuits. It means first. It means first with your time, your talent, and your resources. It means first in your affections, thought life, emotional life, and strength. This is what it means to love Jesus and serve him as king. This is what a godly father or father figure in the faith needs to impart to their children. It's having this type of attitude. It can be done well, and you don't have to put Jesus aside for years. Sort of like in his warped vision of delayed gratification for years, Absalom was thinking about what he was going to do to his brother Amnon. You don't have to put Jesus aside for years of study or work and hope to find that the burning hearth of your devotion will have grown or even remained the same in that time. Do you understand what I mean by that? It's sort of like people begin to have these ambitions and say, I'll just put God on the shelf for just a period of time. He won't be my priority, but he's still somewhere in there in my life. In this moment, I'm trying to pursue my, um, my degree. Or in this moment, I'm trying to get to a particular place in my career. Or I'm trying to develop this relationship. And eventually I'll get back to God. And don't worry, I'll have the same heart and the same love and the same passion and the same devotion to, towards Him that I had when I took a break. But how many people know that that practically does not work? It does not work. The very people, and since we've been here in Chicago, who have done that, they're struggling today. They're like, listen, I just need to... I just need a couple months because it's finals time. Or I just need a couple of months because, you know what I mean, these demands at work, you know what I mean, are really getting to me. And if I just put it off for just a little bit, eventually I'll come back around and I'll be more passionate about Jesus than ever. How many people know life does not work that way? And it's a deception to think that you're going to be growing in God, growing in your devotion to him while putting him on hold. He's like, you cannot, you must not serve two masters. In all seasons of your life, I'm the only one. Either you're going to love the one and despise the other, or you're going to be devoted to one and take care to ignore the other, right? 
He says in that context, you can't serve both God and money. But he's not talking about just God and money. You can't serve both God and your career. You can't serve both God and just your pursuits of what it is that you think is more important than him that he'll eventually bless because you call upon his name every now and then. God's like, put me first at all times, in all seasons, and I'll bless whatever you commit to me. It can be done well. I'll encourage you with that. It can be done well. That can be done. I think about people like in who are going through school, and I don't mind saying it, like Greg, going through the University of Chicago, number three in the nation. How many people know that's difficult? Grad school work, right? Number three in the nation. But you know where he was each and every week? Loving God, praying, giving his best to the people of God. I think about, guess what, the Fiedlers in the midst of their crazy work life. I saw that post. They were collapsed after all their work life, getting their medical degrees. But where are they each week? Not only here serving, but they take up another thing upon themselves to lead a community group outreach to do an apologetics group to advance the kingdom. I think about, where's Lindsay playing that guitar? Lindsay doing that in grad school. Think about Alucci who just finished grad school, like her law degree. Doing it right. Think about Darcy who just flew in this morning with Carissa on the plane after being out of town. Erica, each week, Monday through Thursday, gone, baby, gone. But come back, coming back and worshiping. Saying, God is good, I'm tired, but he's good. Right? Think about Luis. Coming in, work. Let me tell you when Luis works. When you're sleeping. <laughs> That's the truth. When you're sleeping and when I'm sleeping, he's working, keeping this city running. And then you know what? Comes in and says, boom, God's in charge. I'm going to take a nap later, but God's in charge right now. Man of God, Right? These are the things, delayed gratification, not in a deceptive, deceived way, but in a proper way. So many others I could say the same thing about. You. <laughs> it's like, listen, all of you, doing great, but it's not just for you, it's also for those you're teaching and discipling. This is a message millennials need to hear. See, I almost feel like for some of you, I'm preaching to the choir. But many of you are in touch with millennials who need to have this fatherly advice shaped in their thinking because they have no tethering to godly ways that will actually produce godliness in them and through them to build the kingdom. Right? But God's calling us to something different. Okay. Delayed gratification, obviously, it also applies to marriage. Building your relationship, being, um, having a relationship full of fidelity. It, Lord knows, applies to child rearing, right? Proverbs 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but whoever loves him is diligent to discipline him. But does that always come about immediately? The good fruit? No. But it's through time and time again. Same thing over and over again. Applies to business ethics and strategies, right? 
How many people read Jim Collins' book, Built to Last? Okay, good, good business book. Okay. Fine, fine. Okay. It definitely applies to discipleship and making disciples. When you have a sense of delayed gratification, you're sowing the word into people again and again and again, expecting for fruit to come forth. And you have to pray and pray and pray. I think about what Paul said when he was talking to the Galatian church. He said, listen, I'm once again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Once again, how many moms can say once is enough? Like once you deliver that baby, that's enough. We're not going back. It's like somebody else might get an opportunity, but that one you're done. But when you're thinking about making disciples, it's a delayed gratification, right? It's like over the course of time, or let's get natural. How about working out, weightlifting? Anybody ever want to get cut, right? We're in the summer now. Okay, that's fine. So in Chicago especially, everybody could hibernate. But then it's like beach time and everybody's like in the gym. It's like, all right, listen. But it doesn't come overnight, does it? It doesn't come overnight. Delayed gratification, sticking to it over the course of time. And in, court, in terms of discipleship, I'd like to actually show you this like video, not video, but it's actually a post that a good friend of mine actually uh, made recently. It's an image of uh, Jesus. Anybody seen this particular image of Jesus recently? The millennial hipster Jesus. And when you have a sense of sowing into people with delayed gratification, this is what he said. He said, faith in Christ, you have to understand that when you're sowing the right things, the idea of righteousness and, like, and, and purity and godliness into people, you've got to get this mentality in them as well, that faith in Christ was never intended to be cool. As they're trying to make Jesus right here. For centuries past and across continents, it was, was and still is counterculture. As a Christian, our relevancy doesn't come from mimicking, modeling, or starting new trends. Our relevancy comes from an incomprehensible love for others that brings grace, forgiveness, kindness, truth, and generosity to someone as unworthy as myself and even you. The love of Christ is what makes us relevant, not the types of genes we wear, the music we listen to, or the theology we hold. He's basically saying that, listen, when you are trying to get this type of mentality in people, this is an easier route. But when you're trying to get a biblical mentality into people, it takes actually some diligence and patience to see something that reflects the word actually come out. Delayed gratification, right? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, won't change with the times. And he's saying that I package things to speak to people as they are today, but I don't become like them to do so nor do we need to as either. Last point, if you are one who strayed from the heavenly father's wisdom or counsel or advice, the good news is that even in the midst of our sin, he's always making a way that we can come back. That's the good news, isn't it? That's the gospel, is it not? And after Absalom killed his brother Amnon obviously David was upset about that as well his family was falling apart this father who had done so many great things on the outside failed to see good come on the inside 
Amnon went on the run, and for three years he was separated from the people of God in Jerusalem. He, he went into exile. And it said in 2 Samuel chapter 14 that even though David's heart was angry that he had killed his other son Amnon, his heart also longed for, longed for his son Absalom, longed for his son Absalom to bring him back, to bring him in right relationship with himself. And so there was a man named Joab who was the commander of David's armies at the time, and he had a wise woman go and talk to King David to reflect the heart of God that he might actually see him brought back into the king's presence. And this is where we'll finish today. 2 Samuel 14. It says, Now Joab, the son of Zeruiah, knew that the king's heart went out to Absalom. Just like when we've gone astray, God's heart goes out to us. As a father, he comes and he longs to bring people back to himself. Any good father would. And Joab sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning garments. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but behave like a woman who has been mourning many days for the dead. Go to the king and speak thus to him. So Joab put word, the words in her mouth. When the woman of Tekoa came to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and paid homage and said, Save me, O king. And the king said to her, What is your trouble? She answered, Alas, I am a widow, my husband is dead, and your servant had two sons. And they quarreled with one another in the field. There is one to separate them, and one struck the other and killed them. There is no one rather to separate them. And now the whole clan has risen against your servant, and they said, Give up the man who struck his brother, that we may put him to death for the life of his brother whom he killed. And so they would destroy the heir also. Thus they would quench my coal that is left and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the face of the earth. Then the king said to the woman, Go to your house and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, On me be the guilt, my lord the king, and on my father's house. Let the king and his throne be guiltless. The king said, If anyone says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall never touch you again. Then she said, Please let the king invoke the Lord your God, that the avenger of blood kill no more, and my son not be destroyed. He said, As the Lord's live, not one of your son, hair on your son shall fall to the ground. Then the woman said, Please let your servant speak a word to my lord the king. He said, Speak. And the woman said, Why then have you planned such a thing against the people of God? For in giving this decision, and here... I really hope this is burned in your heart in terms of God's disposition and heart towards you and, and towards others that he loves. For in giving this decision, the king convicts himself inasmuch as the king does not bring his banished one home again. He says, we must all die. We are all like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God will not take away life and he devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. So that the banished one will not remain an outcast. In the NIV it says, 
that God's always devising ways so that the estranged one might return to him. The estranged one might return to him. And ultimately, that's the heart of the Father. Whether we've walked in wisdom or not, whether we've gone astray or not, he says, I want to bring you back. I want to bring you back. And then ultimately, David, like a knucklehead, like many of us, at least myself, are, he always, they couldn't speak to him directly. He wouldn't hear it. So they always had to send like some woman in disguise, giving him some parable. And then he was like, yeah, that makes sense. I'm gonna kill them. And he's like, you're the man. It's like, oh, whoops. You know? And so the point is, is that he learned his lesson. He learned the heart of God. And then he said, I'm gonna bring him back. I'm gonna bring my banished son Absalom back. And ultimately that's what he did for us in Jesus. It doesn't matter how long you've walked with him. He says, you need to meet him at the cross today. It doesn't matter how much you've stood opposed to him. You can meet him at the cross today. That you've been living with the product of your sin or people's sins up to this point. And he says that through the cross of Jesus, if you repent and believe the good news, he's making a way for you to come back. And the heavenly father is the one who's always making an appeal, always trying to get people who are separated from him to reconcile with him in Jesus' name. So, if you're a father, whether you've done it well up to this point or not, and we all have lessons to learn, Lord knows I do. It's a charge to our children today. For all of us, we need to hear the charge of delayed gratification. (laughs) Delayed gratification in a godly way, not a warped way. That just like Peter said at the end of the day, though we've not seen him, (laughs) we love him. And though we've not seen him now, we believe in him. And we're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy receiving the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls through that delayed gratification. And if you've missed it up to this point, the good news is he says today as a good father, come back because my son has made a way. Amen? All right, worship team, let's come.